Uh, all right, so last week we finished up a short series we were in uh, called Entrusted, where we looked at uh, the things God has given us and stewarded to us. Now we're going to start our summer series, uh, 10 weeks, where we're going to each week look at one foundational, pivotal, important verse. And we're just going to look at that one verse for the day. We're going to kind of exposit, break it down, look at exactly what that verse means and apply it to our lives uh, and to kind of think through it. But with that, I'm also challenging you each week to memorize the verse of the week. Okay, so this week it is uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. And so my challenge to you is that by next Sunday, if I come to you and ask you, or if you just, I won't do that, but if you come up to me... uh, (laughs) I won't put you on the spot, but I'd love for you to come up to me and say, Brent, I've got it, and to share it with me. Whatever translation you use, um, uh, which should be the ESV, but, um, you know, do, do your thing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, it is such an important discipline, I think, though, for us to put Scripture to memory because you do not know when a time in your life will come where you'll be able to pull that out of back there in the brain somewhere and go, oh, man, I needed that, and I'm glad I had that stored back there. And so, uh, so let's do that. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.16 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn there so you can look in the text with me. If you have your bulletin, it's printed in there with a little note section. Um, some of you have been on me for a while to have that in there. So I'm bending the knee. A lot of people. So one of the things we want to see is that each and every word matters, that context matters. So let's zoom in. We're going to see what it says. You see... So let's read it real quick. 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Most important thing we do each and every Sunday is read from this book. You see, what we believe about This book changes everything. What we believe about the Bible changes everything. Do you believe that the Bible is simply a helpful book for your life? Do you believe that it's a a, a roadmap or a guidebook for your life? Do you simply believe that it's a historical accounting of religious history? Do you believe it's a book of moral principles? Is it true? Is it literal? Is it figurative? What, what do we do if we don't like something that the Bible says? What if we disagree with something that it says? What if we don't want to do something that calls us to do? And then if it is true, is all of it true? If it's authoritative, is all of it authoritative or some of it, is it have, does it have different levels of authority? For example, are the words of Jesus more special than the rest of the words? There are a lot of questions about this book and what we believe about it will change everything in your life. What you believe about the Bible will change everything about how you live, about how you think, and about how you approach the book and how you apply it to your life. This week, my wife shared with me uh, a short blog post that she had read uh, on Instagram, and it was by this girl that she followed for whatever reason, and the post had a lot to say And was deeply troubling. Because it was an attempt to take 
some Christian values, some biblical concepts, but then twist them and pervert them, which made them really unbiblical and anti-gospel. I want to read that post to you now. And I want to read this to you because really I want us to, I want, you, I want to ask the question, how do we know if this is true or not? Like, how do we know if this sentiment is true or not? So let me read it. Easter week, my feed is full of echoes. I cannot silence them. The lessons taught to children, the horror of asking a small child to consider their sin. The dark evil within them for which they deserved to be publicly tortured and executed were it not for a God who would die in their place so they could again deserve to be with him. I cannot silence these lessons, but I can whisper to you the same hopeful beliefs I whisper to my daughter almost, sleeping ears a hundred, a thousand, as many times as she or you need to be told. You have always been lovable. You deserve life and beauty and joy. There is nothing within you so evil that God could not stand it. Violence toward you was never required. You do not deserve to be beaten, to be bloodied, to suffer, to be shamed. Love does not ask us to bleed. Love cannot and does not and uh, will not be separated from you. Love belongs to you and you to love. No prayer, no condition, nor atonement required. There is nothing within you so desperately broken that it demands death to cancel it. You are loved and alive and belong here. You are worthy and precious and glorious and beautiful and good, deeply good, good in your nature and good in your bones. You are loved and worth loving, full stop, hashtag good news. And the problem when you read something like this is if you don't know the Bible, you might look at that and go, there are some things in that I liked. There are some things in that that seem to be true. There are some things in that that resonate with me. And there are some things I'm not quite sure about. Right? And this whole post is really a mess. But how do we know how to think about it? Is it true? And how do we know if it's true or not? And what do we test the words of other people against? My feelings, my ideas, my emotions, what do we test them against? See, when this girl who posted this thing reads the Bible, she finds things she doesn't understand and doesn't like, but instead of wrestling and believing the Bible, she simply throws out the Bible for her own belief. And so you find this post of a false gospel, a gospel that promotes love but no justice, a gospel that promotes love with no understanding of sin and atonement, which actually cheapens love. The sermon isn't about the content of her comments, but rather, how are we going to view the Bible? What is the Bible? What do we believe about it? You know, Thomas Jefferson didn't like a lot of the things the Bible said, and so he quite literally opened the Bible, took a pair of scissors, and cut out all of the passages he didn't like. It's, on, it's in a museum now, I believe in D.C., called the Jefferson Bible. You can go look at it. I believe he cut out all the miracles and all the supernatural stuff. He took out all the things he didn't like. And what was left, it's called the Jefferson Bible. You see, we may not be in jeopardy of taking a pair of scissors to our Bibles. But we are in danger of doing practically the same thing 
with the way we think about the Bible, where we understand the Bible and the way we use the Bible in our lives. So what do we do with this book? The number one selling book of all time, what do we do with it? What is it? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. Let's read it again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We're going to break it down. We're just going to walk through it. So uh, follow along with me and use the note section, underline, whatever. So first he says, all scripture. These first two words might seem quite inconsequential. They might seem unimportant. And so often we do this with the Bible. We come to the Bible and, and there's these little words that are just kind of throwaway words, right? They just, they're not really important and, and we don't look at them, but every word has value and so, so do these two. And, and it's possible that in this verse, these first two words might be the most important in this verse. All scripture. Well, first let's make sure we understand what he means when he says scripture. When Paul uses the word scripture, he most certainly means the Old Testament, Right, so if you're not familiar, that's that's the the basically that much the back the first half, right? Three quarters of the first half, the Old Testament, what the Jews would have identified as the Scripture. So from Genesis to Malachi, so he definitely means that when he says all Scripture. But the question then is, does he mean the New Testament as well? When Paul, who is writing what would have become the New Testament, is he talking about the very thing he's writing right at that moment? The gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are those scripture? The Paul's writings, the, the apocalyptic literature, John's writings, are, are those scripture? Well, interestingly enough, 2 Peter 3.16, it's funny how that worked out, says as much. It says, Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. He writes this way in all of his letters, speaking in them about such matters. Some parts of his letters are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? That Peter, a contemporary of Paul, is equating Paul's writings with the Old Testament scriptures and calling them scripture itself. So we, what we believe is that from cover to cover, the Bible is scripture, meaning it has authority. It is from God. It actually speaks into our lives and has power and authority over our lives because it comes from God. But notice the word all. And you might look at the word all and think, okay, it just means the whole Bible. Okay, got it. But it is important to notice the word all. All the things Paul is about to say about the scripture, that they're breathed out by God, that they're to correct us and so forth, he is making clear that these things he's about to say apply to all of scripture. That we don't say, we don't segregate and say, okay, well, these verses or these books or these chapters are different than others, but it says it applies it to all. And you might think that not important, but in 2019, that is a really, really important thing for us to, to grasp and to get. For example, have you ever heard someone say, uh, or have you ever heard someone dismiss something by saying, oh, that's just in the Old Testament? Right? To be sure, there are things in the Old Testament we don't do anymore, like we get to eat bacon, amen? Come on. But to dismiss the Old Testament outright by saying, oh, we don't, that's in the Old Testament, is to undermine the God-given authority of his word in the Old Testament. But 
there's actually something, I think, a little more dangerous. When, when my sister just below me got married, um, uh, she was going to a church, and we did this awkward thing where I was doing half the wedding, and the other guy was doing half the wedding, and I got to do the sermon part, which, you know, is the most important part. Um, <clears throat> but I'm sitting at the table at the rehearsal dinner with him, getting to know him a little bit, and we're just kind of talking. You know, you get preachers together, they start talking theology and stuff, and, and somehow we got talking about whether or not women should be pastors, and we were kind of going back and forth on that. And, and, and I made the comment, we, I said, you know, well, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, yada, 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 and, and he looked at me and replied, and he said, well, it doesn't really matter what Paul said. The question is whether or not, what, what did Jesus say about it? And I was stunned. I was like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? Like, it's in the Bible. He's like, yeah, but, but, but Jesus' words are really more important. And if Jesus didn't say anything about it, then we really, really shouldn't probably care about it. I was like, What? I knew some people believe this, like, often, like, left-wing academia, like, who people don't even really believe in the resurrection, but, like, this was a Southern Baptist preacher, all right? He liked food, too. Okay, and so I'm like, I'm like, what is happening here? You see, but as you, if you begin to dig into that and begin to talk to people about that, you, you would be amazed that there's probably even some of us in this room who, who maybe wouldn't articulate it like perfectly, but there is a tendency in our own hearts and minds to think, well, yeah, Jesus' words are more authoritative or more powerful or more meaningful than the rest of the Bible, right? And, and you've probably heard someone say this, right? Listen, well, homosexuality, for example, is condemned in the Old Testament and Paul talks about it, but, but Jesus never talks about it, so it's probably not a sin. And, and, and here's where I think probably part of that danger has stemmed from. And, and probably some of you have this Bible in your lap right now, and that's okay. But there are these Bibles, and they're called red-letter Bibles. And what they do is they go and take all of the times Jesus speaks, and he puts those words in red, which seems like a harmless, innocent, helpful thing to do. But it's actually quite wrong and quite hurtful. It actually gives us this wrong approach and wrong starting place about the Bible. It seems innocent, but it's actually really not helpful. Because what we actually believe is that from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, that every word in the Bible should be read. Because every word in the Bible, it is Jesus who is speaking. John, John in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who's the Word? Jesus. He is the Word. So when God speaks, it is Jesus who is speaking. In Genesis 1, when God, we talked about this in our Genesis series, remember? When, when God speaks creation into existence, it is through the agency of the Son. It is Jesus who is speaking in Genesis 1. Jesus is the Word of God. And so if God has made Scripture, it is the voice of Christ. And so whether it's Moses or Isaiah or Paul or whoever, it is Jesus speaking. They should, every word should be read. And so if we're going to talk about Scripture, and if we're going to talk about all Scripture, it means the whole Bible, from cover to cover, is what Paul is about to say. He says, all Scripture. doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether Jesus said it or Paul, it's all Jesus speaking. And then he says, okay, so, so what about all Scripture? 
he continues, is breathed out by God. I love this phrase, right? Uh, the scripture is breathed out by God. And, and this means more than simply it's God spoken. But if you actually look at the words used here, it's really interesting in the Greek, okay? I'm gonna give you a quick Greek language. Those, so the, the, the beginning, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God is three words. Pasagrafe theonutas. All right, pasa means all, grafe, scripture, and then is breathed out by God is one word. Is breathed out by God in Greek is one word, theonoustos. You might recognize some of the things in there. Theo, theo, theos, God, right? But pneuma, what does pneuma mean? So obviously where we're getting the word breath from, and it obviously means breath, but pneuma means more than just breath. No, in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, pneuma is the word that we use for the Holy Spirit. And so theonoustos is not just saying, oh, God breathed the scripture. It is saying that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired and spoke it all. It's God breathed his Holy Spirit anointed. Holy Spirit worked and orchestrated. It's saying that the Holy Spirit inspired every single word. This is echoed by Peter when he writes, when he says, men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so here's, here's kind of how this practically uh, kind of works out. Here's Paul, and he's in prison, and he's writing this letter. He's got his pen, and he's writing it. Well, somehow, mysteriously, by the sovereign, sovereignty of God, while Paul is writing, Dear Timothy, my beloved brother, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is carrying him to write the exact words of God. He was carried along by the Holy Spirit. God was breathing out. God, Theos Neustos, the Spirit was orchestrating and writing what God wanted to say. See, the Bible is not a book of moral principles. The Bible is not a book of religious history. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant, without error, glorious word of a resurrected Christ. And to see it as anything less than the authoritative, glorious, inspired, without error, word of a resurrected Christ, to see it as anything less as the divine word of God is to see it as just another book. Is to see it as just another maybe helpful book for our lives. But this book is not that. This book has power. The Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Because these words are not the words of Paul merely. They are the words of God. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is theonoustos. It is God's spirit orchestrating. So the whole Bible is Jesus speaking. The whole Bible is the word of Christ, whether Moses, Isaiah, Paul, Jesus, whoever. It's all Jesus speaking by the power of the spirit. And so every word should be... Every word should be in red. So what does that mean? It means we don't get to pick and choose which parts we like and don't like. It means we can't choose which commands to obey and which doctrines to believe. All of the Bible is from the Spirit of God, and it is all binding, and it is all true, and it has authority over you. 
follower of Jesus. One of the major marks of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church, one of the major marks was this truth that final authority did not lie in the church. It didn't lie in a priest or in a pastor. It didn't lie in tradition. It didn't lie in the Pope, but final authority was in this book and this book alone. That our final authority, the final thing that we appeal to is this book. Because this book is the very words of God. It always makes me chuckle when people tell me, you know, Brent, I just wish God would speak to me. I just wish, I wish he would just speak to me because I want to hear from him so bad. And I just want to go, here you go. He wrote a really long book. And that's really Paul's final point. That the Bible is not just the authoritative word of God from beginning to end, but that the Bible is incredibly practical. That we need it in everyday life. And so he continues and he says that it is profitable for teaching and for reproof. So he says the scripture, the Bible, is profitable for teaching and reproof. And so here's the fundamental question I think he's getting at. Where does what you believe about God come from? You believe about things about God. A.W. Tozer famously said that the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And so you think things about God. What do you think about him? And is that belief rooted in the Bible or something else? Where does it come from? Paul reminds us that it is God's word that teaches us about who God is. But let me tell you guys, Honestly, you would be amazed if, if we could somehow like have this data, but you'd be amazed at how often we are taught and instructed by friends and family, by movies and by TV shows. I think I shared with you one time when I, I asked a question to my youth group and a girl gave an answer and I, and I was like, where did you get that from? And she said, oh, I saw it on Bruce Almighty. I just took it as fact. Well, it was on a movie. It's about God. It must be true. Right? And so you would be amazed at how much we believe about God just because it's been, we've just heard it somewhere, or just learned it from pop culture or something. You know, I've had people say to me things like this. They'll say, well, Brent, you know the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. I go, it literally doesn't. It quite literally does not say that. But people think it does. Just like people think the Bible says, oh, you got to wear your best on Sunday. Not in there. In fact, it says the opposite. And so there are a lot of things, there are a lot of things that, you know, questions and, and why do we believe what we believe? And, and can you say, I know what I believe because I've read it for myself in this book. There are a lot of things that our church needs to be marked by. Like we need to be marked by love, right? There are a lot of things our church needs to be marked by, but one of them, is an unwavering commitment to believing and practicing what we are taught in this book. That this is our authority. And whatever this book says, we will do, whether we like it or not. Because our king says it. One of the things that I've tried to say a lot um, in different kind of areas in our church is that when the question is asked, uh, fellowship, why do, you, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Or when we ask ourselves, why, why do we do this or that? That the answer is never, 
because we've always done it that way. But that the answer is because the Bible tells us so. Guys, imagine a church that everything we did was because the Bible commanded it and we were able to say, well, we do this because the Bible says here that we should do that. That's what we need to be. Not because tradition says it, not because it's my preference or your preference, because the Bible tells us so. And what that may mean is that there comes a time where we might have to change some of the things that we do because maybe we're convicted that the Bible's telling us something else. It may mean that what we do doesn't always line up with the Bible. There may be times we need to start doing things that we're not currently doing because we say, hey, you know what? The Bible commands us to do this, and we're not really doing that. We need to start doing that. See, the English word for reproof here is a little weak, I think, when they use the word reproof. It really means to rebuke. You see, when we believe something and we come to the Bible and the Bible teaches us something different than what we believe, what do we do? When, when, when we think one way and then we read the Bible and it seems to say the opposite of what we believe, what do we do? Do we, as many do, try to kind of make it and turn it and twist it to kind of fit what we're saying? Do we go, it's just one verse? Do we try to get there somehow or do we say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the scripture is reproofing me, rebuking me. And maybe I need to change to it. The Bible rebukes us. It calls us out on our wrong thinking. It calls us to align ourselves with God as he has revealed himself. We conform to the Bible. We don't conform the Bible to us. And then finally he says that all scripture is for correction and for training in righteousness. So in that same vein, Paul is concluding that the Bible is to correct us and to train us in righteousness. Okay, so what does that mean? Like, who in here likes to be corrected? None of us, right? Like, no one likes to be told they're wrong. No one likes to be told they were out of bounds. No one likes to be told that they did this and they shouldn't have done it. No one likes to be corrected, but every one of us needs to be corrected. I need to be corrected. And the scripture comes to me and it corrects me. It says, Brent, you've lived your life this way. You made this decision. You reacted poorly in this situation. You did that and you were wrong. And you need to conform your life away from that thing that you did. The Bible comes to me and it molds me in that. It comes to you and it molds you in the same way. It corrects us, every one of us. And this isn't just doctrine. It's our, it's our lives and our hearts Because our fallen nature is all messed up. We want to live our way. We want to do our things. And the Bible comes and it says, you got to stop living this way and start living this way. If you want to find the real, beautiful, good, sacred, joyous life, it doesn't look like how you've been living. It looks like this. We don't like it. We don't like being called out. We don't like being told we've got to change. We don't like being told we were wrong. But that's part of the Bible's job is to course correct us. Like, don't you love when you're not paying attention to your GPS and all of a sudden it starts rerouting and then starts pointing you a different direction? You're like, oh, I missed my turn. Well, you don't turn around and go back and then go back down the way. You just go the new way that your GPS has now routed you to go. That's what the scripture does to us. It's like, you've been going this wrong way. Time to, time to start, take this right turn up here. The Bible also calls us not just to be corrected, but it also says to train us in righteousness. 
This is to conform and transform us into the image of Christ. That God through his word is actually transforming you into something so radiant and beautiful and glorious. Through correcting old broken things in you and then training you to walk new. I often tell new Christians, who, particularly Christians who come to faith later in life, I often tell them that Christianity is like learning to walk again. That it is like retraining yourself to walk. Because everything is new. The Bible is correcting us and changing us. And it's often difficult. You often fall down. You often have to pull yourself back up. But eventually you'll be running. Let me ask you this question. I'm almost done. We're going to eat and play ball. Do you want to grow closer to God? Would you come to me or someone and say, Brent, I really want to grow in my relationship with God. I really want to grow closer to God. I want my life to change. I want to have more joy. I want to do all these things. Well, step one is to read this book. And that seems like such a Sunday school answer. It seems like such a, such a, like a not helpful thing. But in this book lies life. And don't just read it. Like you could read this thing cover to cover and, and not get anything out of it. I remember one time I sat down and I read the whole book of Galatians. And then I thought, what did I just read? And I had no earthly idea. Like, I mean, open it and dive into it and study it and meditate on one verse and just, just soak it in and memorize it and get behind it and think about it and, and wrestle it in your head and take it into your heart. Highlight it, underline it, read it over and over again. Don't just go and read a whole chapter. Just go read a verse. Go read a, go read a couple verses. Charles Spurgeon said this, and he is absolutely right. He says, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. If you want to grow closer to the Lord, if you want to have a life that is full of joy, if you want to be the kind of person who can face storms, the kind of person who can weather difficult circumstances, the kind of person who is ready to face life, then you got to read where the source of life is, is in this book. And it's not just a book, but it's the very word of God speaking to you. God is not going to write you a message in the clouds. He is not going to whisper to you uh, in the stillness of the day. He is going to speak to you when you open this book and read it. Because it's his divine word. People tell me all the time, Brent, I just can't study the Bible. I'm not a good reader. People tell me all the time, I just, I try to read the Bible and I can't understand the Bible. But here's the thing. You don't get to cop out of this. If you want to grow, if you want your world to change, if you want to be transformed, you've got to read it and reread it. Find someone to teach it to you. Do whatever you got to do to get into this book. Because this book is the Theonoustos. It is breathed out by God. It is God's word. The creator of the universe has spoken into history to you. It is profoundly practical, and it is shallow enough for my five-year-old to get something out of it, but it is deep enough that an 80-year-old theologian could never find the bottom. So we must read it. It sets the course for our life. It sets the course for our church. There are few things more important than to be well acquainted with what this book says. And I promise you this. The more you taste it, the hungrier you will be for it. The more you taste of it, the hungrier you will be. When you go to college, uh, you, you hear about the liberal arts. 
And you hear about people who are studying the liberal arts, and no one has any idea what the liberal arts are or what that means. You're like, oh, okay. Math, English, got it. But actually, what the word liberal arts means, historically where it comes from, it meant that you were a free man or a free woman. Because that's liberal, liberated. It meant that you could read or write because if you couldn't read or write, then you were basically a slave because if you wanted to sign a contract or read something, you had to have someone else read it to you and you had to trust that they were actually reading what it said. And if you were going to sign something, you couldn't write, so you couldn't really sign, so you had to have someone sign for you, and you had to trust them. And so you were basically a slave. You couldn't learn. You couldn't read or write. You were a slave dependent upon everyone else. Are you dependent on other people to tell you what this book says? Are you a slave to, the, to other people who know this book to teach it to you? Is the only person who teaches you this book is me on Sunday mornings? Or in your Sunday school class? Are you a slave or do you get to read this for yourself? Do you know it for yourself? Do you have to trust that other people know what they're talking about to tell it to you? Or do you know it for yourself? See, if you don't know what the Bible says, how can you ever read a blog post like the one I read at the beginning and know whether that's true or not? How do you listen to the news? How do you read newspaper articles? How do you read books? How do you hear things from friends and are able to say, that's not true? And here's why. How can you test anything in the world to know if it's true or not if you don't know this book? Unless you know the truth for yourself from its source, how can you ever be confident? So open the book, start small. Meditate on a verse a day, and it will transform your life. It will correct you, it will rebuke you, and it will train you in righteousness, and it will transform you and make you new. Because when you read it, you're not just reading some old guy named Paul who wrote it 2,000 years ago. You're not just reading some guy named Isaiah who lived 4,000 years ago. You're reading the very words of God given to you so that you can be trained, corrected, and made like him. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Set it to memory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And we are able to gather together and, 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 and do all the things that we're able to do this morning because you have revealed yourself to us and the person and work of Jesus and through his word. And so, God, we are so thankful that you would choose to speak to us because you were under no obligation to speak. You didn't have to speak. You could have remained silent, but you didn't. You came to us and you spoke. So, God, this morning, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, if there's someone here who didn't know if they could trust the Bible or not. If there's someone here who thought religion was a bunch of scam about being a good person. And this morning they see that, you know what, you don't have to be a good person. You're, we're, we're all broken. We're all messed up. And what we need is the grace of God and Jesus going to the cross to give us life for us. That the blog post we read is actually uh, true and false. That we are loved and we're loved so much that someone had to come and die so that that love could be made manifest and we could know you. 
that both are true at the same time, that blood had to be spilled, and you love us and we're lovable. And we are guilty and evil people, and yet still you love us. These things are all true. If you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus, you don't follow him, he's not your savior, you don't have hope, I just want to invite you to come and talk with me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd just love to talk with you. These men up here would do the same thing. If you've got a need in your life, no matter how big or small, I would invite you to come pray. I would invite you to come kneel at these steps and pray. But however the Lord leads you, I pray you would follow him. Jesus, give us strength. Christ, and we pray. Amen. We'll stand and sing.